0: not pass me by thank you band for the blessing today um, it's gonna to be back with you last Sunday about this time we were in the middle of uh, all men's service around a campfire down around Kerr Reservoir and we sang that last song that uh, our chains are gone I'd say I, I mean I love listening to the church sing and ladies your voices sound like angels But there's something about listening to men sing, my chains are gone I've been set free and that that is a blessing beyond all other men would you agree that's a marvelous thing to hear, uh, to know the impact that godly men will have on our society, amongst our children, amongst uh, our, their wives, and in their influence. So it's a blessing to be together. We were able to get set apart a little bit uh, so we don't come apart, and uh, able to spend some time just having fun and enjoying one another's company and fellowship and sharpening one another, and then a time around the word of God. Daniel was uh, a fantastic, brought a very important message for us. and then. A time of singing as Alex let us. So just a big blessing. Anyway, if you are uh, here today, you've got little ones, and some of them exited already, but up through grade four, and you'd like for them to be downstairs, they can be dismissed. For the rest of you, turn to your copy of God's Word, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians 16. Talking a little bit about planning today as we really approach the end of this, uh, of this book, this letter that Paul has written uh, with the intent, of course, to move right into 2 Corinthians. We've titled this whole study God's Plan for a Healthy Church because, as you know, you've been with us for a while. You know that the Lord has uh, taken us through this. Paul uh, was instructed to deal with many difficulties inside the church in Corinth. And, of course, those things then either work to solve uh, modern church problems or to work proactively to avoid them. And so it's a big blessing for us to go through them. This next section, Chapter 16, really, we've titled Income, Itinerary, and Instructions. So three sections there, really handholds, to help you grab a hold of of what we're going to teach, and and maybe come away with some some things that can help you as you move into your life this week. And so we're in chapter 16, uh, really 1 through 24. British sculptor Jacob Epstein once was visited in his studio by George Bernard Shaw. Shaw noticed a huge block of stone standing in one corner, asked what it was for. Epstein said, I don't know, I'm still making plans. Shaw was astounded. He said, you mean you plan your work? Well, I change my mind several times a day. The sculptor replied, well, that's all very well and good with a four ounce manuscript. Not so good with a four ton block of granite. During World War II, General MacArthur asked an engineer how long it would take to build a bridge across a certain river. The engineer replied about three days. So he was told to go ahead and draw up the plans. About three days later, MacArthur approached the engineer and said, Uh, asked for the plans. The engineer seemed surprised. He said, oh, the bridge is already ready, sir. Uh, You can cross it now if you want to, but the plans, you'll have to wait a little longer. We haven't finished those yet. Warren Rearsby's book, Whitcliffe Handbook of Preaching and Preachers, he notes that Hudson Taylor had definite convictions about how God's work should be done. He's noted as saying this, we can make our best plans and try to carry them out in our own strength, or we can make careful plans and ask God to bless them, or, he said, Another way of working is to begin with God, ask his plans, and offer ourselves to him to carry out his purposes. As we think about our walk with the Lord, there's perhaps a mixture of each of those things in our walk. Wouldn't you agree? Probably careful planning and, and really evaluating what's going to happen next and then moving forward in a way that's uh, carefully planned out. There's also the jumping in with hard work part where you see, you see a need, you just jump in there, you're not thinking about planning, you're just doing the work that needs to be done. And of course... There's the knowledge of God's revealed plan and then working hard at that. And I would say as we begin this next section, we really labeled itinerary. I think we can see those things all mixed in Paul's life, a little bit of all of those things, equal parts careful planning, equal parts jumping in with hard work, and we see Paul's instructions in that. And we also see uh, a knowledge of God's revealed plan and then working hard at that. And I think there's a mixture there in Paul's uh, life that is a great illustration for us. I'd like you to turn in co- your copy of God's word, Look at one Corinthians sixteen, and this itinerary section really goes only through about verse twelve, but we're going to read all the rest of it all the way to the end because we haven't in a little while because we've been uh, looking at those first four verses, and so I want to do that, and then we'll come back to verses five through twelve for our introduction to our study today. So look with me in your copy of God's Word. I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard. You can find that in the seat in front of you, but uh, and you may uh, and that might be helpful to you, and. If not, just read along in your copy of God's word. I'll give you some verse cues so we can stay together. Paul says this, verse 5. But I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I am going through Macedonia. Verse 6. And perhaps I'll stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. Verse 7. For I do not wish to see you you now just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time if the Lord permits. Verse 8. But I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost. Verse 9, for a wide door for effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Verse 10, now if Timothy comes, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid, for he's doing the Lord's work as I also am. Verse 11, so let no one despise him, but send him on his way in peace, so that he may come to me, for I expect him with the brethren. Verse 12, but concerning Apollos our brother, I encourage him greatly to come to you with the brethren. And it was not at all his desire to come now, but he will come when he has opportunity. Verse 13, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Verse 14, let all that you do be done in love. Verse 15, now I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanas, that they were the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves for ministry to the saints. Verse 16, that you also be in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the work and labors. Verse 17, I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Acacius because they have supplied what was lacking on your part. Verse 18, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore acknowledge such men. Verse 19, the churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Presco greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. Verse 20, all the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Verse 21, the greeting is in my own hand, Paul. Verse 22, if anyone does not love the Lord, he's to be accursed. Maranatha, verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. And so Paul concludes this letter to the Corinthian church. And as we look at those first eight verses, look back there with me, verse 5. But I'll come to you after I go through Macedonia. And he just kind of walks through his his, uh, itinerary. Let's be real, that doesn't seem to be too exciting, does it? And some of the the difficulty, if you know, if you're a teacher of God's word, is teaching verses like that, where you just have an itinerary spread out or maybe some narration uh, of something that's going on. You're talking about going here or going there and to places and churches and people that don't exist anymore. But there's a reason why Paul was carried along by the Holy Spirit to include this in the letter. And that's really one of the keys to Bible study is to try to understand why the Lord wants us to have that, because it didn't have to be included. But every word that's there, we understand the Lord carried along uh, those writers to put it in. And so as you look at it again, I think a couple things become obvious. Paul had a lot of influence in ministry in a lot of different places, and he had a love for the continuing growth of people in places where he had ministered. And those places and people are never far from his mind. And so, at the end of the letter, we find Paul's words, and we find his plans, and what we find really is an example of faithful ministry. So, as we work our way through the eight verses, we're going to attempt to pull some principles from those passages that model what faithful ministry looks like. And, of course, verses five and six get us tracking along those lines, and so we'll look at them again in a moment. But before we do, I'd like you to look at the end of verse 10. Would you do that? Look at the end of verse 10 right there in chapter 16 where Paul's talking about Timothy's ministry, remember? He said, Timothy's going to come uh, and make sure he's not afraid, which is an interesting statement, and we'll talk about that more. Make sure he's not afraid when he's with you. And then he's going to come back to me with the brother. And then he says this, and I think this is really the key to the passage, because we're going to use this. I think this really is what everything kind of orbits around kind of loosely. So look there, if you would. He says this, for he is doing, what's it say? The Lord's work as I also am. So just stop right there. Doing the Lord's work really is how Paul summed up his ministry. I mean, everything he did, he did with the understanding of what the Lord required of him, and he applied that understanding. That just seems to be obvious, doesn't it? And a lot of people would say, I'm doing the Lord's work, right? I mean, that seems to be kind of a, a, probably a key for everyone. If you're involved in ministry, you believe that you're doing the Lord's work. And, and I get that. But the Lord isn't silent about what that actually looks like, okay? So I would say and propose to you perhaps when... People think that they're doing the Lord's work. It's possible that they think they're doing the Lord's work, but they aren't really doing the Lord's work because as we looked at that last step of planning, the Lord has laid out his plan for us, and we read it, and then we do it. And that may not live up to expectations of everyone who thinks they're doing the Lord's work, but that is how it works. And so there are all kinds of expectations of Paul as we've gone through this letter here in Corinthians. We knew that there was all kinds of expectations from those he ministered to, right? All kinds of opinions about what he did, all kinds of opinions about what he should do, right? We just we dealt with all of that kind of stuff as we worked through. But for Paul, the Lord's work is the work defined for him from the word of God. What God said to do, that's what Paul did. And if God didn't comment on it, then that becomes a preference based in freedom. And Paul very clearly indicated all through this letter that he wasn't bound by any of those things. Now, it just seems obvious, but the Lord's work is the work the Lord gave us to do. Okay. That just seems obvious, but let's just give a definition out, put a definition out there and he's very clear about it. And so for starters, Jesus said this in Luke or in John chapter 6 verse tw- uh, 29. And you can copy some of these down if you're a note taker, you'll find it on the back of your bulletin. Here's a couple of ways that you kind of sum up what the Lord's work looks like in general as we get started. It becomes more specific as we move in, but for sure we understand John 6:29. Jesus answers and said to them, this is the work of God. So obviously, we're talking about what we're talking about, right? This is the work of God. What is it? That you believe in Him whom He has sent. So the first work, the Lord uh, of the Lord, that can be done is to what? Is to believe. Okay. So additionally, for every believer, it also includes the spreading of the gospel, and that's the great commission. And we find that in Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen, and a number of other places as well. But we'll just look at this one. So Jesus comes up, and He's speaking, and He says to them, "All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth." Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. That sounds like work, right? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. That means you've got to engage and start doing some work. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So if you're going to do the work of the Lord, uh, and you're going to honestly do it, you're gonna, and it's going to be classified as work, first thing, you're going to have to believe. Second thing, uh, to have it honestly classified as the work of the Lord, you're going to be needing to spread the gospel. So that's not just a couple of people, that's not just the leaders of the church or people that you know have the gift of evangelism, that's everybody, right? So you've got that job, I've got that job, you've got neighbors across the fence, you've got uh, people you're ministering to, you've got people around you in work, all those kinds of things, those are places the Lord's set up. You've got an opportunity to do where I can't go, and I have an opportunity to go where you can't go, but the idea there is the work of the Lord, if, to have it honestly classified as the work of the Lord, you've got to be spreading the gospel, and you're going to follow that up with teaching them how to be a disciple. So not just the one, but both. Okay, so you're modeling that by your life. You're actually engaging in that with your words. And so uh, we can see that those things are for sure things the Lord has given us to do. It would be classified as the work of the Lord. Paul certainly involved in both of those. And then as we move on, we can see also the great commandment kind of falls in there too, doesn't it? John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, and that you also love one another. That seems like an active work to be involved, right? I mean, it's going to be something besides fuzzy feelings, because we've already looked at 1 Corinthians 13, and we know love is not just some emotion. It's actively involved in meeting needs. So love is a verb in the, in the New Testament. And so he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you always go to church on Sunday. By this all men will know you're my disciples if you're a deacon. By this all men will know you're my disciples if you play in the praise band, teach Sunday school, whatever. No, by this all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So if you're working with the work of the Lord, then you'll be loving, and that's a verb. Additionally, as we've seen, it includes the one another's, doing the one another's to each other, bearing one another's burdens and all that. That's the way you express love to each other. It includes the, the use of spiritual gifts based in love. We saw that in 1 Corinthians 13. And many, many other things specifically. And those who serve the church in the position of pastor and deacon, there are specific labors the Lord has given to them. Work they have to do that's not included in work others have to do. And always, that's the ruling principle in the life of any person and in the pattern and direction of any ministry is, is doing the work of the Lord. As Hudson Taylor indicated, uh, what the Word says, uh, that's what we do. And it is very specific uh, in what we're supposed to do. Now, doing the work of the Lord, as a comment finds its way into much of what Paul had to say to other people. And so not only was he committed to doing the work of the Lord, this is how he uh, taught them and how to know the labor of the Lord. Galatians chapter 4, verse 11 and 1 Thessalonians 3, 5, both places where we find this in Paul's comments. As he speaks about the church, he writes a letter to them. He says to them, I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. So a lot of the labor we just got through talking about, that's labor Paul did amongst them, along with the other things that he had to do as a pastor. And so we find that he is concerned that in his labor over the church, perhaps they have stepped away. He said this the exact same thing to to the Thessalonica church. For this reason, when I could endure it no longer. So in other words, he's thinking about them even when he's far from them. He says, I also sent to find out about your faith. For fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So labored among them, concerned about what was going on, going back to find out what's happening there. Okay, so he labored in the work of the Lord amongst these churches. He's always desirous to see if that labor bore fruit. Now, it's a very important principle that made its way to Jesus' teachings as well. Matthew 21, 28. Parable of the two sons. I love this parable. It has so much application today uh, to the church. But I'll just go ahead and just sum it up here because I think you can see the point we're making. He says, what do you think? A man had two sons. And he came to the first, and he said, son, go work today in the vineyard. And he answered, that's the son, I will not do it. But afterward, regretted it and went. So obviously a parable, it's an earthly, uh, earthly illustration with a heavenly meaning. Okay, Go and work in the vineyard. And he said, I won't do it, and then he said, I will. And then he answered, and, and, uh, and then regretted it and went. And then verse 30 says, and, and the man came to the second son, uh, and said the same thing, and he answered, I will, sir, but he didn't. Uh, which of the two did the will of the Father? And they said the first. And he said, you've answered correctly. And he's going to make an illustration about what it looked like to actually do the labor of the Lord and who responded and who did not. The Gentiles initially said no and then did, and the Jews said they would and didn't. Okay, So actively involved in the ministry, he uses this illustration to say, listen, there's some labor that needs to happen, and I've given this, uh, this requirement to everyone who claims to be my follower. Now in Mark chapter 3 verse 32 Jesus makes it clear how important it was. A crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, "Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you." Answering them, he said, "Who are my mother and my brothers?" Now obviously, biologically, everybody knew the answer to that, but he's going to make a very important point. Looking about those who were sitting around him, he said, "Behold, my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother." And sister and mother. So, what was he saying? He said, Listen, there's some labor that's supposed to be done. I realize I have biological brothers and sisters and mother, but the real brothers and sisters I have are the ones who are co laboring together with me and doing the will of the Father. So, that's pretty important, I think, trumping even family relationships. And if you're in the ministry, you understand uh, that perhaps some family relationships have a very difficult time continuing to be uh, maintained. I find, and many of you know my situation uh, with, my, uh, with my brother and sister, and that is a very strained relationship, to say the least, uh, because my priorities are not theirs. I, I really don't share any priorities with them. I share blood with them, but priorities for life are completely on different ends of the scale. And so I understand this verse and, and the pain that comes along with it, but also that this is how it is. Jesus said it was going to be this way, and it was even that way for him. In Paul's early sermon, in his ministry in Acts 13, uh, right after he was sent out from the church in Antioch to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, he's giving them a history lesson on his people, and he lets them know that someone who is committed to doing the work of God, uh, as God wants them to do it, is of primary importance to the Lord. In Acts 13, 21, he says this, and they asked for a king, and God gave them one. So he's summing up Israel's history as he's preaching. They asked for a king, and God gave them one. uh, Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. After he had removed him, He raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he had testified and said, I found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. That's a pretty important statement, isn't it? Listen, He he said, you know, Saul reigned for 40 years. He said after he removed him. So he didn't say anything about Saul's reign, did he? But when David, he talks about David, he said, listen, this is important. He's a man after my own heart who will do my will. (laughs) I found a man who will do my will, God said, and so I put him to work. Then on down to verse 36, he makes another comment about David as he's making the case for the Messiah. In verse 36, he says this. He says, for David, after he had served the purposes of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid among the fathers and underwent decay. So two times then right there within a couple of verses, he marks out David as someone who did what? The work of God. It was the highlight. It was important to point it out, fulfilled the purpose of God, served, it says the purposes of God in his generation. And just so that we can be certain that as Paul understood what the Lord wanted him to do, he did it, and that general submission to doing the work of the Lord becomes then a pattern for Paul's own ministry. And it's not always immediately clear, see, where that work will take place or what that ministry will look like. And we can see by Paul's changes in his plans as we look through uh, the New Testament from time to time that he, he didn't always know what the future would be and how it would work out. But what he did know was He knew what the lord expected him to do and he did that and we saw that that included carrying out the great commission we saw that included carrying out the great commandment giving god glory for what he accomplishes preaching the true gospel of obedience living with personal integrity sticking uh, sticking with difficult ministry doing the work of an evangelist all those kinds of things we see paul telling others to do things that we see reflected in his own life and, and you know sticking it out in the work of the lord serving the purposes of god in your generation see isn't that a great, isn't that a great uh, kind of a summary, to use Davidic phrasing? Because sticking out the work of the Lord for the purposes of God in your generation, see, it brings about usefulness. It means success in the Lord's eyes, see. It brings about fulfillment and satisfaction in the sum of life. And that can place you in a place of peace, not worried about what you ought to be doing. And Paul lived that way, see. It's very simple what the Lord has planned and what he said to do, what the work of the Lord is. Paul was very committed to the work God said to do, and that could be a place uh, that seemed to be the overriding attitude in all effective Christian service. And listen, as we think about the work of the Lord, how much better is it to come to the end of your life and say, I don't know if I did what you wanted me to do, or to have to say, I know I didn't do what you wanted me to do. How much better is it to say that you serve the purposes of God in your life, see, and what are the purposes of God? What are the work, what's the work of God? Well, it's very simple and laid out for us in the Scripture, and I gave you three of them already, and I'll give you a few more as we work our way through. But isn't it much better to say, you know, I just serve the purposes of God in my life? You know, it wasn't necessarily exciting. It didn't necessarily make a headline, okay? It wasn't illustrated in Christianity today or whatever. I served the purposes of God. I taught that little Sunday school. I taught that little Bible study, I did that home group study, I just faithfully gave out the gospel on a regular basis in my private life for the people that I know, I I followed up with discipleship, I served the purposes of God in my generation, and then I went to be with my fathers. Isn't that better than saying, I'm not sure I did what the Lord wanted me to do, or for sure saying, depending on how you're living, I for sure did not do it, see? When you get to Paul, the end of Paul's ministry, I think we can see uh, this, this attitude now that's kind of fleshed its way out all through his life. And then it comes to this in Acts 20, verse 22, he says this, And now behold, bound in the Spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me every day in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. And, and then you think, but you're going anyway? I mean, and then Paul says, yeah, I don't consider my life of any account as dear to myself. So I'm not concerned with my own self-preservation. So that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. So he wasn't regretting the end of his life. He'd spent it as he knew he should. He did the work of the Lord in his generation, just like David. Did. And beloved, oh that you could see that early as a believer in life, okay? It doesn't have to make headlines. It doesn't have to be some special thing that everybody draws notice of. Listen, serving the purposes of God faithfully in the ministry God's given you, understanding what he says to do and just doing those simple things. That is pure satisfaction in life. And when you get to the end of your life and every time you celebrate a birthday then you get a little bit older, that's not a, that's not a time where you can be depressed, right? Because you've invested your life over your lifespan doing the work of the Lord. That's very satisfying. And Paul, he didn't care. He knows he's going to come to affliction. He knows he's going to come to bonds. And he's going anyway. Why? I just want to do the work the Lord wants me to do. That's all I'm concerned about. And on the upside, your life probably won't come to the end of its life like Paul's did. Okay? So you don't have that to worry about if that could encroach in. But I would would propose to you that if you've committed yourself to doing just the simple things the Lord's required for you to do, the work he's given you to do, that you wouldn't be worried about that anyway. So he's not regretting it. See? And it's very simple. And any successful servant of God realizes that satisfaction and joy are going to come when they focus on opportunities with consistency and faithfulness. Just do the work the Lord's given you to do. okay? And that can place you in a place of peace. Not worried about what you ought to be doing, because you're already doing what you ought to be doing. okay? It becomes that pattern of life for yourself. And as a footnote, I think it's important to realize that it really doesn't appear that either Paul or Jesus felt they had to do everything in the world that they could possibly do, okay? I think that's important to realize, too. You can't do that, and I can't do that. I can't do everything. I mean, I could apply myself to every single thing I could possibly do, but I don't think that's what the Lord's calling me to do. He's given me a certain gift set, and I I employ that gift set in doing the work of the Lord. He's given you a different gift set, and you're employing that, see, and together we accomplish the work of the Lord. You faithfully, me faithfully, that's how it works, see? So I don't think you see any kind of model where Paul does everything he could possibly do. They just focused on ministry that was consistent with the work God wanted them to do. And so you only really ask one question. Does this fulfill the work God's given every believer to do? And if you're living consistently inside the revealed will of God, then God will make sure you know what your opportunities are. And if there's a need and it's about furthering the kingdom and you can fill it, then you already know the answer, right? I mean, if you're doing the work of the Lord, and it's described for you very clearly, and there's a need, and it fulfills the kingdom purpose, and you can do it, then what's the answer for you? Sure. Absolutely. I need, almost every head needs to be going like this. And I, I'm not saying that you're not serving, okay? But that, that's an important thing to connect, okay? If you're going to do the work of the Lord, then you're not going to just be sitting back saying, okay, Lord, show me what the work of the Lord is. If you're living inside the revealed world, uh, will of God, you'll already see some needs. And guess what, beloved? If you can meet the need, then you plug yourself in. That's a no-brainer. Okay, then you can get to the end of your life and and somebody can say about you, you know, you serve the purpose of God with your whole entire life. And that's really what you wanna do, right? That's that's the only thing that's gonna matter at the end. So very simple, see. And you know, and I would just say this, we've seen a lot of our students uh, from Liberty here at Berean learn that lesson early, which we're so grateful. There's so many students who've connected. And I would just say this, you know, it's one thing to be in your life, in your life career, and then you're plugged in, giving your life away. That's something else when you're kind of in transition, like you're a student and you're coming and whatever. But you know what we found? A lot of students not waiting for some future date to start ministry, okay? You know, when you finish, you you know, when you graduate, when you move back, whatever. You know, focus on a ministry that furthers the kingdom, serve with consistency and faithfulness. And I'll tell you over the years as I've put on staff at different churches, I always ask, particularly if it's a young person, so what did you do while you were in college? Where, where were you plugged in? What ministry did you do? And listen, if the answer is, well, I was just kind of really focusing on my education, I didn't do much ministry, it's pretty much not gonna get the job, all right? Because listen, throughout your life, you can serve the purpose of God wherever you are, and if it's your life purpose to do that, if you've understood that the Lord's given you some jobs, and you gotta be plugged in, then that's what needs to be happening, see? So, now, I, I told you, that's the introduction, okay? so. Look at verses five and six. And, and this really gets us tracking along those lines. And I think it models these things for us, so we'll look at them. And so we've already looked at kind of the basic model of, the, of what you know serving the Lord's purposes, doing the work of the Lord. And Paul says, Timothy's doing the work of the Lord as I also am. So if that's the case, and we understand that it is, if Paul says that Timothy's doing the work of the Lord and I'm doing the work of the Lord, then we can see then as we look at what he's doing, that can become a model for us, right? And so that's how I took verses five through 12 And it just went from, oh man, what am I going to do with this? To, oh, I don't think I have enough time to deal with all of this. See, And so I I hope it's encouraging to you as it was to me as we went through the study. Look at verses 5 and 6. We'll read them and then we'll comment on them. Paul says this, but I will come to you after I go through Macedonia. For I am going through Macedonia. Verse 6, and perhaps I'll stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. Stop right there. Uh, In general, as we see Paul's comments, we realize just obviously that um, he wants to go back to Corinth. He's separated from them. He's in Ephesus right now writing this letter, but he wants to go back to Corinth. That's just obvious, and he says he's going to come. And, of course, in chapter 4, verse 19 of 1 Corinthians, uh, it seems to indicate that Paul's intent was to follow shortly after Timothy and visit the Corinthian church. That seems to be what he's uh, inclined to believe is going to happen. But God changed Paul's plans. Paul ended up staying in Ephesus for a lot longer period of time than he thought he was going to initially, and we'll look at that. But, but I think the first principle we can see from Paul's life uh, in doing the work of the Lord is the continued investment in people. In, in, a, in a church environment, particularly in, the, new, in, in uh, the modern world, in the Western world, where the average pastor stays two years, it doesn't seem to line up too well with, with Paul's, with Paul's in interest in investment in ministry. Here's the thing. Paul was still concerned for the welfare of the people he had shared the gospel with and discipled and loved years before. He's still concerned about them. He was invested there. Those folks and those churches were never far from his mind. Paul was still invested in the work of the ministry that he'd already completed. And, you know, as I think about that, as this is part of my ministry model, it is part of what I have done as well. I've had the privilege of pastoring. This is my third church I've been able to pastor. I've invested my life in people over the years in Florida and up in, West, in western New York State. And, you know, those people I still connect with. And if I see something happening in their life, either through social media or whatever, I, I feel like I've earned the right as an overseer for them to type a message to them and say, hey, what's going on? And I think some of you guys who are in ministry, you've done that as well. You're still connected. I think that's a very important thing. And, and, you know, if you've had your Sunday school classes and you've had your, you've overseen some small groups, you know, these people, as they move out from you, listen, you've earned, you've earned the right. and, And also it is your obligation to continue to encourage them. So you've connected with them, you discipled them, you brought them along, and that still is part of your ministry. And I see that as an example with Paul. It's a continued investment in people over time, see? And that's really the second thing we see in verse six. It's the second principle is this. Take your time. Paul says, I'll stay with you uh, or even spend the winter with you. You know, I think we can find if you're doing the work of the Lord, it's not a sprint. I think everybody would agree with that. It's not a sprint. I think we think it could be a sprint, but it never is a sprint. It's a marathon. It takes time to invest in people. It takes time to earn trust. It takes time to earn credibility. It takes time to outlast your critics. It's no secret that there were many in Corinth that didn't like Paul. I mean, we saw that over and over. We're going to see it in 2 Corinthians as well. People who didn't like Paul, didn't like what he did, didn't like how he did it, didn't like his preferences. They took issue with him on a regular basis. They thought that that speaking uh, unkindly to Paul was exactly what they were supposed to do. That was their spiritual gift of criticism. So they did that on a regular basis. Does that seem to matter to Paul? No. Did he still come back? Yes. Is he still interested in, in ministering to them? Yes. Even in the midst of difficult times? Yes. There's many there that didn't like Paul. They gossiped about him. They undermined his teaching. They belittled him. It didn't matter. He says, I'm going to come back. I'd even like to spend the winter with him. It seems like if, if we were in Paul's place, that would be the last place you'd like to spend the winter. Okay? You'd like to go somewhere peaceful. How about the mountains? You know? A little snowfall. You know, read your Bible. we in front of the fireplace. No, Paul said, look, I'd like to spend the winter with you. Even though there was many there who opposed him. First 1 Corinthians 4.18, Paul says this. Now, some have become arrogant as though I were not going to come to you. So They're like, he'll never come back. I mean, we created such a caustic environment for him. that He would never want to come back. He's not going to come back. He doesn't want to face us. But I will come to you, Paul says, soon if the Lord wills. And I shall find out not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. Verse 24, the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. Verse 21, what do you desire? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love? With spirit of gentleness? Paul says, I'm going to come. I've given you the teaching. You understand how it's supposed to work. I put it to work. I'm going to come and spend time with you. You know, this. take your time. The work of the Lord is a continued investment of in people, and it requires some time. Even after Paul came the second time, so we know he came back and visited them shortly after Timothy did, uh, longer than he thought it was going to be, but he did come. And so in 2 Corinthians 13.1, in, in fact, look there with me. Turn, Hold your, but, your finger here. Look at 2 Corinthians 13.1, if you would. It's an important passage. So Paul's now... He taught them for 18 months. He went away from them. He's been in Ephesus. He goes back and visits them. He comes away again, and then he writes them this letter. Okay? So he's been there twice now. This is the third time I'm going to come to you. So he's getting ready to come to them again. In his mind, that's his plan. So, 2 Corinthians 13.1. This is the third time I'm coming to you. Every fact is to be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I have previously said, when present the second time, that the, and though now absent, I say in advance to those who have sinned in the past and to all the rest as well, that if I come again, I'll not spare anyone. Verse 3, since you're seeking for proof of, of the Christ who speaks in me and who is not weak towards you but mighty in you, for indeed, verse 4, he was crucified because of weakness, yet he lives because of the power of God, for we also are weak in him, yet we, live, yet we will live with him because of the power of God directed toward you. Test yourselves, he says, to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves, for or do you not recognize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test. But I trust that you will realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. Now, we pray to God that you do no wrong. Not that we ourselves may appear approved, catch this, but that you may do what is right, even though we may appear unapproved. So Paul's going to go back, he's going to wade back into a continuing saga of of, uh, you know, dynamic drama, okay? He's not worried about it, is he? It's like, Christ lives in me. Test it, make sure he lives in you. I want to deal with believers, Paul says. Make sure that you're, make sure you're born again. Uh, The Holy Spirit's going to witness there and see, listen, I'm going to come. And listen, and I don't care if you approve me. I'm not coming to make sure that you approve me. I'm coming to make sure you don't do any wrong, even though you don't approve me. So here's Paul, long-term investment, He cares about what's going on in the church. He understands it's a difficult ministry. He's going to go spend some time. And he's not even concerned whether when he gets all done that they like him or that they approve him or even think he's doing a good job. What's his main concern? That they don't do any wrong. Just wants to make sure that he has the time to give the word out. He's still dealing with those who oppose him. See, And yet he says, even if I may appear unapproved, my desire is for you to do no wrong. So Paul wants to take his time because he's invested in these churches. He, he gave out the gospel. He loves them. He's discipling them. He's doing the work of the, Lord, uh, of the Lord. And this is what that looks like, see? Timothy's doing the work of the Lord, as I am also. And then we can see what his plans are, and we can see what that looks like, okay? In a very basic way, a very servant-like heart. And, he, and at the end of verse 6, he gives our third principle on what that work of that Lord looks like. So look back then, if you would, for, to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Look at verse 6. He says this, so first, first uh, thing we see in Paul's life, the work of the Lord is a continued investment in people. Secondly, take your time. It's going to take some time. And the third thing is this, help others get invested. Paul says, I'm going to come, and I'm going to stay with you for the winter, and so that you may send me on my way. And that word send, erist, active, subjunctive of the verb proempo. This is an important word. It has to do with equipping for a journey. And so that just seems obvious. I want you to send me on my way. At first blush, I think, as you look at the passage, you think, okay, I have some needs. I'm going to stop there for a while with you. I'm going to spend the winter with you. And then you're going to kind of equip me like you would a ship for a voyage. You're going to equip me with what I need and send me on. Very, very biblical way to look at missions and how missions works. And so I think that that has to do with that. But there's also some application of this word that has to do with coming along with. So this Proempo uh, in, this, in this heirs active subjunctive, is that you know, perhaps you'll come with me. That's part of the equipping is you're coming along and doing it with me. And the subjunctive mood is the mood of what? That's contingency, okay? So there's some possibility about whether or not they'll get invested. So as we can see, the attitude that's there at Corinth, that's not surprising to us, is that He's gonna show up and perhaps he's, they're gonna be invested and send him, perhaps they won't, there's some contingency there. He's like, but I'm gonna come, I'm gonna spend the winter, so that you may, that's the, that's the whole subjunctive part, you may send, perhaps, you, perhaps you're gonna do this, you'll send me on my way, you'll get invested, okay? So here, of course, he's expecting them to take care of his needs as he does the work, but, but not as an obligation, not as not begrudgingly, you know, he, I want you to send me, it's sending as the form of joyful equipping for a journey, because you're invested in it too, see, that's what Paul wants. Long-term investment with him, spending your time, you know, investing in people, taking your time with people, you know, so that they can be invested and come along, so they can be invested and get on board. See, that's the idea. That's what you want. As you're teaching and you're doing your ministry, you want people to get on board with that vision that you have. You want them to get on board with doing the work of the Lord as a purpose for life. See. But there's another aspect of this investment that we talked about uh, as part of coming along, and I think that's part of Paul's, Paul's encouragement too. Second Timothy 2 Timothy two. part of my own philosophy of ministry is this. Uh, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That is is the main emphasis of my own ministry is the Lord's equipped me, okay? And so I think this is a very important part here of this send me on my way or, uh, you know, this whole equipping for the journey and coming along. Timothy was the beneficiary of this investment that Paul made. And so he was invested too, and he's come along. See, Timothy becomes that example. And now he had a job to do from the Lord, and so Paul encourages him to do that. Timothy came along on this work of the Lord, and now he's equipping others to do the same thing. Okay, so the idea then, um, as Paul comes, he's going he's to continue to invest, he's going to take the time, and he wants others to get invested too. That's, that's part of the outcome of the work of the Lord, is others catch the vision and they want to do it too. Okay? And then Paul ends this section, he says that you may send me on my way, and then he says this, look at that verse, he says, wherever I may go. And that's how he ends verse 6. So again, Paul wasn't sure whether or not the, where the Lord would have him go. I mean, in his mind, he had some plans. In his mind, he had some, some goals of where he was heading, see? And, uh, but there was, there was some question about whether or not the Lord would take him there. So he just says, listen, I'd like to take you along. I'd like you to be equipping me. I'd like you to buy in uh, wherever that might be. So he didn't know where he was going to go, but there was no question of what he would be doing when he was there, right? Because it was going to be the same exact thing. Now look at verse 7. And with that verse we're going to begin to close up for the day with some with some thoughts that kind of help you put this together. Look at verse 7. He says this, "For I do not wish For I do not wish to see you now just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time." Again, here's this, "If the Lord permits." He'd already been with the church plant for 18 months. He wants to go back even though it was and continues to be a difficult ministry. And he's going to go back to Macedonia, too. I mean, think about Acts chapter 16. I mean, as you read through Paul's ministry, and we've looked at that uh, before, so it's not unfamiliar to you. I mean, Philippi, Thyatira, Paul and Silas are thrown in jail. So that wasn't, I don't think as we looked at general ministry, you know, Uh, Approach that that would be considered a successful ministry from a modern ministry perspective You went and did your ministry and you got tossed in jail, but that's what happened to Paul and so uh, as he gets to Thessalonica what happens there? Well a mob attacks him So that didn't seem to go so well and Paul, you know making friends influencing people that doesn't seem to be going uh, with Carnegie too Well, I'm not sure uh, that works so well there So difficult ministry he's gonna go back you know, when he goes to Berea, you know, that started well, right? He gave the message. They went home, studied the scriptures, and, uh, and then all the people from Thessalonica showed up and, you know, influenced everybody very negatively, and so he gets tossed out of Berea. So, anyway, that's the ministry of, of the Macedonian ministry. He goes, I'm going to go back. Does that sound like something you'd want to do? Let's go back there where it just went so well. It was swimming, you know. difficult ministry, but it didn't matter to Paul, see, because he was doing the work of the Lord. And he cared about those he had ministered to. He cared enough to correct them and love them and give them, give himself away for them and to go back and spend the time that it took, whatever it took. See? So Paul says this, For I do not wish to see you now just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time. See, he really loved them. And, and that's the love that comes from Christ, isn't it? Because they certainly didn't reciprocate that love. It's doing the work of the Lord, loving in the midst of hard times, and in unreciprocated love and unreciprocated appreciation. See, and as we saw, just investing long term. And he again defers to the Lord's plan. He says, if the Lord permits. I don't, we- I don't wish to see you just now in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time if the Lord permits. Again, you know, Paul always deferred to God's plan. Put some number four, leave it in the Lord's hands. I mean, he knew what he was supposed to do. He knew what he thought he was supposed to do but he always had an awareness that the lord had the last say and so he's just going to go he's going to spend the time he's going to take the time with people he's going to help others get invested and then he's just going to leave it in the lord's hands and so as we think about that this morning think about this you know principle number one uh, the work of the lord is a continued investment in people If, if paul says timothy's doing the work of the lord i'm also doing it what was paul doing continuing investing in people going back even to difficult ministries sticking with it long term you know making sure that people Get on board. Help them to catch the vision. Outlasting your critics, whatever it took for Paul. He didn't, he didn't care because he was just doing the work of the Lord. He got to the end of his life, and you know he's talking to the Ephesian elders there in the last part of Acts, and he just says, Listen, I, I don't care. I'm going to Jerusalem. I understand what's going to happen. It doesn't matter. I'm just going to complete the work the Lord's given me to do. That's his number one purpose, just continuing to do the work of the Lord. Number two, take your time. It's going to take some time. It's not, it's not a sprint. It's a long-term marathon, and long-term investment over time produces the results the Lord uh, would have done, whether that's results of people getting on board or results of people now being uh, held accountable for what they heard, it, it doesn't matter because you're just doing the work, okay, as you go out and spread the gospel, you know, you are shining light perhaps on really, really hard, unripe fruit, or you may be shining the light on fruit that's ready to be picked, but that really isn't your concern, the out, that back part isn't your concern, is it, the, the front part's your concern, which is carrying out the great commission, right, and carrying out the great commandment and believing. See, those are the things that you have to do, and then as the Lord specifically spells out requirements for those who are in certain positions, they have to do those things too, and as we see, you know, commandments given by the Lord to love and all that, listen, we follow through with that, but the bottom line is, it's on our end, we do what we're supposed to do. It's not what happens on the other end, okay? On our end, we do what we're supposed to do. Take your time. Number three, help others get invested. Number four, leave it in the Lord's hands. So as we think about the work of the Lord, and as you think about this, we're just kind of getting, getting our feet wet here. And you're not sure what you should do. First of all, you need to realize, and we've said this many times before, especially as we went through our spiritual gifts section, okay, listen, realize he has a ministry for you to do. That's just obvious. We, we've seen the commands. They apply to everyone. And if he has a ministry for you, work for you to do, then he wants you to know and experience that work, okay? I mean, that's just, that's just one-to-one. Obviously, he has ministry for you to do, and he wants you to experience it okay? He's he's given you a job to do. He's said many times in his parables, he's going to come back, he's going to see the servants who are doing what they're supposed to do, he's going to see the servants who aren't doing what they're supposed to do, and there's going to be different dealings with both, okay? So just do the work. He's given it to you. Obviously, he wants you to know and experience it, and you can look into the Word and see it modeled in passages like this, see? And they don't seem too exciting, and they probably won't make the news, but it's just faithful ministry, okay? And just follow that model, now, I'm going to give you an illustration. We're going to close with this. And, and you, I've read it to you before. It's been many years ago. This is from uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse's commentary on Romans called Man's Ruin. Man's Ruin, And he, I love this passage. It is um, very enriching. I, I hope it's enriching to you. I think It has really to do with, with the way this works, okay? The way I think this, as we understand the ministry that comes from the word and how it's going to be applied. So just, in, just to be encouraged as we, as we close out with this. Barnhouse says this. We will suppose a case of a man who loves violin music. He has the means to buy for himself a very fine violin and he also buys for himself the best radio he can find and he builds a library of the great musical scores so that he is able to take any piece announced on the radio, put it on his music stand and play along with the orchestra. The announcer says that Mr. Ormandy and the Philadelphia Orchestra are gonna play Beethoven's seventh symphony. The man in his home puts the symphony on his stand He tunes his violin from what he hears coming from the orchestra. The music that comes from the radio has obviously been picked in advance. It's gonna come to him through the radio. Armandy is gonna follow the score just as Beethoven wrote it. The man in his living room starts to scratch away with his violin part. He misses beats, he loses his place, he finds it again. He breaks a string, he stops to fix it. But the music just goes on and on and he finds his place again. And he plays after his fashion until the symphony has ended. The announcer names the next work that's to be played and the man at home puts that music on his rack and day after day and week after week and month after month and year after year he finds pleasure in scraping his violin along with the violins of the great orchestras their music was picked out in advance what he has to do is learn to play in their tempo in their key and follow the score as it's been written in advance if he decides he wants to play yankee doodle When the orchestra is in the midst of Brahms number, there's gonna be dissidence and discord in the man's house, but not in the great orchestra hall. After several years of this, the man might be a fairly credible violin player and may have learned to submit himself utterly to the scores that are written and follow the program as played. Harmony and joy come from his submission and his cooperation. So it is with the work of God. It is rolling towards us and unfolding day by day as he's planned it before the foundation of the world. Isn't that exactly what we were told in Scripture? That he has picked out good works for us and laid them up before the foundation of the world. There are those who might fight against it and are ultimately cast into outer darkness because he will not have His heaven. in his heaven those who proudly resist him. This cannot be tolerated any more than the authorities would permit a man to bring his own violin into the great orchestra hall and start to play Mendelssohn when the program calls for Bach. The score of God's plan is set forth in the word. And in the measure that I learn it and I submit myself to it and seek to live in accordance with it, I shall find myself in joy and in harmony with God and his plans. If I set myself to fight against it or disagree with that which comes forth, there can be no peace in my heart or life. And if my heart, if in my heart I seek to play a tune that is not the melody that the Lord has for me, there will be nothing but dissidence. Even when we are out of tune, it doesn't mess up the sovereign orchestra. It just brings discord to our own home willingness to submit and focus and serve with your life and to get in line with the work he has for you is learning to play the same tune that the eternal God plays and to play it in the way the eternal composer wrote it and meant it to be played. Isn't that great? As you think about your involvement in the work of God, Paul says to Timothy, he does the work of the Lord as I do also. It's going on just in your little world. But the Lord planned it out long before all of this. See, good works laid out before the foundation of the world that you should walk in them. And then he gives the, you the plan what it looks like. He says, here it is. Take up your violin and begin to play that music. And yes, you won't do it very well at the beginning. And you make a ton of mistakes. And you just keep after it. And you keep looking back. What am I supposed to do? What am I, what's my job? If I get to the end of my life and they say, will they say he served God his, the purposes of God with his life, with her life. It's only going to happen if this is what we're doing, see. It's not going to happen if we're just kind of doing our own thing. Listen, the people at Corinth that bucked Paul, they don't find themselves in a very pretty place here, and they don't find great company around themselves, do they? No, you just see Paul saying, I'm going to go back, and I'm going to keep on keeping on with them. Even, if, even after the third, on the third visit, I still have to go back, and there's still going to be people who, who are resisting Paul. It doesn't matter. Long-term ministry to them. Doing what is laid out for Paul to do, and he just does it over and over again. That's it, see. And by the end of your life, you know, hopefully we'll get pretty good at it. Just kind of doing the work of the Lord. Hopefully we'll get very good at easily sharing our faith. When we get an opportunity, it should be it should come right off our tongue, beloved. You know. If you have that heart mindset that this is the the work the Lord's given me to do, I'm going to walk in it, then you're going to figure out a way to to deliver that in such a way that people can hear it and get saved. That's why when we baptize people here, they they fill out a whole testimony for the first time. Before I baptize someone, they have to write out their testimony, complete. And the goal is, and I give them a form that helps them put it together, but the goal is this, when you finish your testimony, someone else should be able to get saved after they heard it. See, people, we we fill our testimonies with all of our personal life stuff and we forget that there's this gospel that changed us. We get it because we're changed, but other people don't get it because they don't hear the gospel. You understand? So we model our life, we get our life in a position so we can be useful for the master. Not so that we can be put up on the stage or you're written about in the word of God or whatever, just so that we end our life having served the purposes of God and doing the work that God's given us. It's pretty straightforward. We just start and do it. And that's what I'd say for you to do. Obviously, the Lord's equipped you. Obviously, there are needs. If you look at that need, you see it serves a kingdom purpose, and you can meet it. That's a no-brainer. Put yourself in it. And many of you have done that, and I'm not saying that you haven't by teaching this way. I'm just saying this is the way this works, okay? And as I look at this, this section, I realize we can just look at that and say, oh my goodness, it's mindless. How can I possibly get anything out of it? But Paul says, is, I'm doing the work of the Lord, and so is Timothy. So what would that look like, Paul? Okay, I'm gonna go spend the winter with people who don't even like me. And I'm gonna continue to invest in them Because I love them. And it's not even, maybe not even reciprocated. It doesn't really matter. Because I'm just going to do the work the Lord's given me. Just laid out very simply. And so that's my encouragement to you as we we come back next week. Lord willing, we will jump back into this and move our way through it. But I think we've laid the foundation so you can see uh, perhaps what that work of the Lord looks like. Hopefully that can modify maybe whatever it is that you thought the work of the Lord was before. uh, So that it is conformed to this image that you might Close out your life in such a way that people could say they s- he served, she served, the purposes of God with their life in their generation. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you today for an opportunity to be in your word. We're so grateful to have it. We are encouraged by it, uh, brought to a place where we can uh, come to a point where we can look at our own life and say, okay, uh, do I line up with this? You know, how? You know, who do I relate with most? Is it the ones who oppose Paul who don't find a very uh, a very uh, admirable position in the word? Is it the ones who who uh, who?" submitted and did what Paul wanted, uh, what taught them to do. Uh, Lord, I pray that we'll be conformed to those correct images. Thank you for uh, giving us an opportunity to do the work that you've given us. You certainly could accomplish it all without us. We we certainly were flawed. Uh, we, we have spiritual gifts. We don't use them very well. We, we're like the violin player who kind of scrapes and misses stuff and breaks strings and, and stops playing and plays wrong tunes. But, Lord, you continue to play. You've given us work laid out before the foundation of the world that we might walk in it. Lord, I pray that we'll continue to conform. Look at our lives now. Where are we plugged in? Are we doing the work the Lord's given us to do? Are we serving one another? Something that's lost on the modern church, considered less important than sitting in a Bible study serving one another in love and meeting needs lord i pray that you'll correct our faulty thinking thank you for the blessing of serving along with these folks thank you for the joy that they bring to me thank you for the the understanding that many of them have about what the work of the lord looks like thank you for the servant hearts that they have and the blessing they are in meeting needs thank you for the many men you've brought here who are faithfully teaching others also Lord, only you know the sum of the ministry and and how the impact of that will work out in eternity, but uh, we trust that we're doing what you asked us to do. We know that you'll, you'll bring the fruit that comes from that. We give you praise today. We say all this in the name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people said, amen.